He's not around, huh? Um, you'll see how that relates to our message uh, for this morning. But first, a couple announcements. Um, this week, Karen Thompson, one of our garden worshipers, uh, she passed. And we just wanted to let you guys, those that know her, um, her husband Bill has asked us to tell you that uh, the service will be on August 16th in the sanctuary at 2 p.m. Uh, and so just be remembering uh, Bill and his family in your prayers. And also Darlene Yost uh, also died this week, another garden worshiper. Um, the service will be this Tuesday at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary. So if you can remember those families, the Thompsons and the Yost family, just kind of pray for them and uh, uh, let you know that's where the service is. If you didn't write that down and you don't remember, the information will also be available through the office. Okay, so just wanted to give you guys a heads up on that. Uh, so that video kind of sets up what we're talking about today. Uh, it seems like in conflict resolution, one of the hurdles we have to get past is this idea of acting as though Christ is not present or his return is not imminent. And because if you think about it, the way we behave looks a lot like how Kramer was behaving in Jerry's apartment. <clears throat> right? I mean, Jerry was just going out for a little bit, was going to be back. He had a party. He took the phone apart. He rearranged the furniture. He stole a couch. He cleaned up tomato juice with a couch cushion. Uh, he did a lot of, you know, he mocked Jerry's job as a comedian. I mean, that was over the line right there. And so the idea of how we act, I think our perspective needs to change. And by the way, you may not think I planned it this way, but I really did. This is going to be a great introductory message to our next series, which starts next week, called My Mother and the Return of Jesus. It's a great introductory statement because we're talking about Christ's return today in this last series on conflict resolution in Philemon. And so this week, the name of the sermon is called Clean My Room. Isn't that a cute picture? Imagine me, just a little bit older, and that's kind of what my office looks like sometimes. Whoops. Excuse me. But I'm a professional. I can handle it. I'm not shaking, see? I'm going right down here, picking up my batteries. But um, the concept that we're trying to get across today is this idea of the return of Christ as it relates to how we will handle our conflicts. Because I think far too many times, we don't recognize that return of Christ is imminent. And the example of this we see in this passage is Paul. Let's read this. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord, having confidence in your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epiphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. Amen. And that's the end of the book of Philemon, one chapter, 25 verses. But the end of this, I think, is a very overlooked part of the story when most of the time when people teach Philemon they really focus on the beginning parts and and they kind of leave out the last five verses and I think these are almost as critical as the first five because what Paul says is this 
have, I have confidence that you're going to do even more than I think. I have confidence in your obedience. Also, I'm going to come see you pretty soon. And also, these other guys who know I'm writing you about this, they all say, hey, what's up? Think about all that is involved in these five verses as it relates to Philemon's necessity to resolve this conflict he has with Onesimus. So I've broken it down for you in basically four different kind of points. The first one is he sets the standard, right? He says, I have confidence in your obedience. You're going to do even more than what I'm asking. It's kind of like what he wrote and he said, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. See, Paul's confidence, and we talked about this, I think, in week two, when I said you better recognize, Paul's confidence wasn't necessarily in Philemon. Paul's confidence is in what God was doing in Philemon's life. Paul knew that God had transformed and saved Philemon and given him a heart for the kingdom, and he knew because of what God was doing that Philemon was going to exceed Paul's expectations in this conflict he had with Onesimus. Because he knew that God was still working in Philemon's life. And then he says, I'm planning a visit. You know, remember, we, we talked about this last week here. Paul was willing to pay the price, and we discussed that. And I, I shared with you how when you go into a conflict resolution situation, you shouldn't try to go in seeing how much you can get out of it. Don't go bargain hunting. Go in saying, how much more can I pay for restoration? Remember, we talked about that. And, and so if you approach conflict resolution, not with, okay, I'm going to get mine, but how much more can I give to make sure this is resolved? Paul even said in this, he said, don't worry, whatever he owes you, put it to my account, I will pay. Now, is it possible that Paul's visit was so that he could make good on his promise to pay? To fulfill his end of the bargain? See, I think in keeping with the fact that Paul is a picture of Christ in this story, I definitely think that was part of the reason for the visit. Yes, he loved Philemon. Yes, he loved the church that was in Philemon's house. But more than that, he had a vested interest in this relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. It's very clear he did because he wrote this specific letter and attached it to the other letters, to the Colossians and the Galatians and the other people. So he's planning to make a visit. And he says, I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. So Paul makes the assumption that Philemon wants him to visit. Hey, listen, prepare a room for me, clean it up, get it ready, because I'm, gonna, I'm thinking that God's going to answer your prayers and I will be with you soon. It assumes that he wanted Paul to visit. Maybe he didn't, right? Maybe he was upset. I mean, that's a pretty harsh letter he got. I mean, how do we view accountability sometimes? That's really what this is about, you know. Is accountability something we look forward to? Like when Philemon read this letter and, and he got these directions from Paul, do you think he thought, man, you know, I'm really glad that he wrote this and I'm looking forward to him coming so he can see how I handled it. Or do you think it's possible that maybe Philemon had a little struggle with, I can't believe he wrote this, and I can't believe he's coming to check up on me. Do y'all ever feel that way? With accountability? Does it ever 
tick you off? Who do you think you are holding me accountable? What is usually that? That's usually the basis of a conflict. When you feel like somebody's overstepped their bounds of what they're allowed to tell you to do or overstepped their bounds in what they've asked you to give. Who do you think you are? But Paul makes the assumption that that is not Philemon's case. Paul makes the assumption that Philemon is praying for Paul's release from prison so that he can come and visit. Paul assumes it's something that Philemon is looking forward to. Revelation chapter 22, I'm going to read verse 12 and 13. It says, And behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And so what we see here is that the return of the Lord is kind of attached to the idea of a reward. See, many times we look at accountability as a negative, don't we? We look at accountability as, okay, somebody's going to come and tell me what I'm doing wrong. Somebody's going to come into my life and tell me what I need to improve on. Somebody's going to come in and tell me where my failures and shortfalls are. But in reality, when it's based upon a loving relationship, accountability has the idea of reward, of a job well done. And so what we need to do is we need to reverse our perspective on what accountability is if we're really going to have conflict resolution between brothers and sisters in our family. The last point that he brings up, it says, uh, I read that already. The last point we bring up is, your homies say what's up. The last part of it says this, right? He says, uh, Epiphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. See, this is more accountability. Hey, guys, listen, I'm writing Philemon this letter about Onesimus. I'm going to ask him to do all these things. Do you want me to tell him you said, hey? Yeah, man, tell him. We okay, I got it. I put it down. And so he does all this stuff. He gives him all this direction. He sets a standard. I think you're going to do even more than I ask. By the way, I'm coming to plan a visit, so clean up my room. Because I know you're praying that I'll be there soon. And your homies say, what's up? There are multiple levels of accountability here, are there not? He says, look, God's going to have you do even more than I'm asking. I'm going to come check it out. I know you're praying that I'll be there soon. And these guys know about it too. Paul leaves no stone unturned. It seems to me it's very important to him that this be resolved. Matter of fact, in the letter to the Corinthians, I'm going to read this to you. Paul uses this concept of coming to you to make sure things are going well often in his ministry. He doesn't just give direction and say, okay, now do it and never check up. He's actually a pretty good administrator. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1. He says to the Corinthian church, this will be the third time I am coming to you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word can be established. What's he saying? I'm coming to you again. It's the third time we've addressed the issue. And I want to make sure you understand, Corinthian church, I'm doing this so that every word that is spoken, everything that I've said to you can be established with several different witnesses. 
And so accountability is a core value. Remember the first week in this series I shared with you that one of Paul's core values in ministry was relationships. And I kind of outlined for you how he's an incredible networker. He knew everybody in every town and every region. And people knew him and he knew people. And he didn't just have surface relationships. He had deep relationships with these people. Well, this is another core value in his ministry. He believed that accountability was crucial. Hands-on accountability. Some people might even say he was nosy. Hey, Paul, you done gone to meddling. Why are you so involved in my stuff? Get out of my business. <clears throat> See, the impending return of Paul surely added to Philemon's motivation to make things right, don't you think? But why? Why would Philemon care what Paul thinks? He's not a king. He's not the police. Why would this make a difference? How would Philemon feel if he did not follow through on these things that he was supposed to do? And then Paul arrived to see him and it was all undone. Why would he care if Paul was coming? And how would he feel if, he, if Paul came and he hadn't done all these things? See, the reason Paul was able to say these things to Philemon is because he had an amazing relationship with Philemon. And his return would have been something, guys, this is important, it would have been something that Philemon looked forward to. Not something he dreaded. You see where I'm going with this? Philemon's motivation to fix this thing with Onesimus was tied to the fact that he loved Paul. And he wanted to make sure that as he prepared Paul's room, he also prepared everything else that he was supposed to do because he loved Paul more than he loved winning the conflict. You follow me here? He loved Paul more than he loved winning the conflict with Onesimus. It was more important for him to be a blessing to Paul, because Paul even said, if you do this, you'll refresh me in Christ. You'll give me such energy, such joy. It was more important, his love for Paul, than it was for him to win the battle, the debate, the conflict, to get his money out of Onesimus. Because see, if there's no love, conflict resolution won't work. Are you listening to me, church? If there is no love, conflict resolution will not work. Because if there's no love, you're not willing to sacrifice. And if you're not willing to sacrifice, you're driven by what? Your own personal agenda. And if you're driven by your own personal agenda, you will conflict with other people's personal agenda. I think that part of the challenge that we have is recognizing the price. See... Just like Paul was willing to pay the price that we talked about last week for this resolution, listen, Philemon, forgive him, receive him just as you would me, the apostle, and by the way, if he owes you anything, I'll pay for it. Just like Paul was willing to pay the price necessary for restoration and conflict resolution, so did Jesus for us. And just like Paul was going to return to finish the work, so will Jesus for us. You see how they're very similar? Both paid the price, both promised a return. 
And just like Paul gave Philemon instructions regarding conflict resolution, we know that soon we will be given an account for those same instructions that Jesus gave us. Remember when he taught us how to pray? And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That was direct teaching from Jesus who also promised to pay the price on the cross, right? But then said, don't worry, I'm coming back to finish the job. Watch this verse. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming... To rip your face off. No, that's not what it says. I'm coming to rip your fingernails. No, that's not. I am coming. Here's what he says. It's in Zechariah 2.10. Rejoice, for I am coming to dwell among you, says the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. Jehovah. Have you ever thought about how you would live your life if Jesus were your roommate? your house guest, your neighbor. If Jesus in physical form, I mean, he does dwell among us, but could you imagine if he's if he, if he seen a face that you could see? How would you handle conflict? If every day that guy was in your mug. See, Conflict resolution needs a deadline. It can't go on and on and on for days and weeks and months and years and decades. It needs a deadline. That's what Paul's return put on Philemon's situation, did it not? Hey, I'm coming to see you. That thing better be solved by then, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> if there is no love... The conflict resolution won't work. So, how should a pending audience with Jesus affect how you handle conflicts you may have with other members of God's family? How does it affect it? I mean, could you imagine if I'm in a fight with Steve, I mean, I'd win probably anyway, but if I was in a fight with Steve, but Christ was my roommate, how would I handle it? Would I be seeking to abstract what I think he owes me? Or would I look at Jesus and realize, man, Jesus paid a price for my conflict resolution with God. I wonder what price I should pay for my conflict resolution with Steve. When you're in a fight with somebody, when you're in a conflict with somebody, and you're in a fight and conflict with somebody that really bugs you, and it's really disturbing you, but you know that God has taught us through Philemon and through his word that we are to approach conflict with a sense of humility and saying, what am I willing to pay? If the accountability of Christ being there is not motivation, then you may not know much about Jesus. You may not know him personally. See, if Philemon had never met Paul, if Philemon did not have a relationship with Paul, this letter would have been meaningless. Who's this guy? <laughs> Forget it. I'm getting my money. But that's not what happened. 
Philemon knew that Paul had sacrificed a lot for him. Listen to this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 11. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, by the way, Paul wrote this, to be well-pleasing to him, Jesus. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we have a really well-known relationship with God. And I also trust we are well-known by your conscience. What Paul explains here is this. Yes, there is this impending face-to-face with Jesus that should affect how we act, how we treat one another. In the midst of that, while there is fear of that, that judgment, and we understand that, but the good thing about it is, he says, we are well known to God. We have a really close relationship with God. We have a connection to God. And we hope that we have that same type of connection with you. And so Paul is equating our relationship to Christ with our relationship with one another. And he says, the way we relate here is the way we should relate here. And if you say, guys... And we learned this in the book of James when we study James. If you say you have a relationship with God, but your relationship with his other children is full of conflict, I think there's reason to doubt how strong that relationship is. Because you're not really aware of just how much the price was that Christ had to pay. See, the return of Jesus is elusive. It's confusing, right? But I'm a Christian. I thought I wasn't going to be judged. And, but I don't understand. Why should I be, why should I be afraid? And the, the return of Jesus is frightening. Like, you know, when I was a young kid growing up in a Baptist church, everybody else said, oh, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I was kind of disappointed. I'm just being honest with you because I wanted to live. And so I had this mindset of, dreading the return of Jesus. Oh, I don't want it. No, stop. No, 20 years, maybe 30, 50 years. Yeah, but I want you to come back while I'm alive because I don't want to die. So come back while I'm alive, but wait till I'm like almost ready to die. Right? Wouldn't that be great timing? Like 85, my social security, you know, is kind of dwindling because the government's going bad. My IRA's dwindling. You know, my wife is gone. My children are gone. I got nothing. And then Jesus comes back. Awesome. But before that, please, no, no, no. So the return of Christ is elusive, confusing, and frightening. But guys, listen. It should be liberating. It should be motivating. It should be anticipated. See, without Paul's return, the instructions would have been useless. Without the return of Jesus, His work on the earth is unfinished. And so in the midst of this, I believe how Philemon responded to Paul's news. Hey, I'm coming to visit. Oh, man, that's awesome. I can't wait for Paul to get here. I'm going to resolve this Onesimus thing. I'm going to get Paul's room ready. Hey, guys, listen, Paul's coming soon. Man, I'm so excited. Let's do everything we can to make sure that we're ready for his return. 
And if you're honest, I think many of us, especially, you know, maybe you young people can relate to this more because I know that this is how I felt. I know there's this imminent return of Jesus idea. He could come back at any moment and all that stuff. But I hope he waits till after I'm done with college or I get married or have a few kids. That's not what the return of Jesus is about. It's about saying, I'm going to do everything I can with every moment that God has redeemed for me through his blood on the cross. He's given me instructions. He's given me directions. And he's coming back soon to see how I did with it all. I can't wait. And it's, mo- it's not fearful. It's motivating. It's not frightening. It's encouraging. And we should live with a sense of anticipation that our Jesus, who paid this price on the cross, he gave his life so that we would no longer be in conflict with Heavenly Dad, so that we could have this loving relationship with the Father. There's no, there's no division. It's one, united. And he did all this for us. And by the way, he's coming soon. Let's get fired up about that. We don't have to be afraid of it. We can embrace it. That's what we're going to be talking about the next four weeks. Is how we should live in reality of Christ's return. No longer fearful of it. No longer confused by it. No longer possibly ashamed at what might happen. But joyful, motivated, and anticipating what God is doing. Even right now. As we prepare for His return.